You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, uh, I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Tunage. If you're a guest, I see we have a lot of visitors with us. We're just very glad that you're here worshiping with us today. We, just appreciate, your, we appreciate your presence with us. Hopefully, we'll get to know you uh, a little bit in our time together today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series. Matter of fact, if you have a Bible, we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Excuse me, we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't own a Bible, hopefully we put one in the chair near you. You can grab that one and take it with you. If you do not own a Bible, we would love for you to have one. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be starting as we kind of intro the series that we're in once again. And before I do that, uh, let, me, let me say this. We will be having our service be a little bit shorter uh, today. We were notified, as you can probably tell, we were notified last night uh, that the AC unit was not functioning. And so we appreciate your, your patience as you bear with us. We tried to do the best we could with the fans uh, and everything. But we do appreciate your patience. We look to be finishing up uh, a little bit earlier than we normally do uh, because of the, uh, the temperature, the heat that we have here with us today. But God is still good. Amen. God is still good. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. Appreciate that. Second Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Here's how we'll, we'll get it started today. Paul is talking to one of his closest friends, someone he has mentored named Timothy. Paul's time on the earth is almost up, and he's preparing Timothy for what is to come. Specifically, he's preparing Timothy for why things are going to be difficult for him because of the way that people are going to be living and the type of people that he will encounter in his ministry. Uh, as Timothy was a son in the ministry, as Paul says, to Paul. So the first four verses will, him, will be him just describing the type of people that Timothy will have to encounter uh, as Timothy remains faithful as a minister of the gospel. So verse one, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we'll focus here on verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Notice how he ends this list. That there will be people who have the appearance of godliness. There are some people on this list who don't appear to be godly. He says, but there will be some who will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power, deny the power of godliness. Jump down to verse 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding Faith. So these men will look godly, but deny the power of God in their lives. These men are always learning, but never actually able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And in fact, though they look godly, they actually oppose the truth, Paul is saying. I want to submit to you today that I believe Paul, when he says that they have the appearance of godliness, but deny his power, 
He's referring to people who seem to actually be followers of God, but they reject that what God is trying to do to transform them and make them more and more like him because it's more comfortable and easier for them to continue to live the way that they were living. And thus they are denying the power of God in their lives. That when we seem to follow Christ, but don't actually embrace what he's trying to do to transform us and change us and make us more and more like him, we actually deny, we're in denial of the power of God. We reject it. We're intentionally opposed to the power of God when we do not submit ourselves intentionally to what he is trying to do as he looks to change us and transform us. See, these people, they they know a lot about God, but they don't really know God. They know a lot of facts about God, but it's easy to see that they don't really know God because their life does not line up with what they know to be true about God. And Paul is saying that, in fact, they are living in opposition to the truth. They're living in opposition to God. So we talk about this series in Columbia as it is in heaven, and we want to see Columbia look more and more like heaven every day. We have to be people that not only have an appearance of godliness, but also embrace his, his life-changing power to make us more and more like him. That we wouldn't be like the, the men that are in this passage that, that seem to be holy, that maybe show up for Sunday worship, that maybe attend the life group meeting, maybe can quote a lot of scriptures, but yet reject what God is trying to do in his sanctifying work to make us more and more holy. That we wouldn't be a group that has a form of godliness or has the appearance of godliness but denies the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. We don't want that to be us. So in our membership covenant, which everyone signs who becomes a member of our church or everyone acknowledges that they agree to, We have these different practices that we believe God uses and has used for for the history of the church to transform his people. And we've just been looking at different different covenant practices is what we call them as we look to grow in Christ together. Today's covenant practice that we'll deal with informs us on how we live after we sin. Right? I feel like I've emphasized a lot over the last several weeks, maybe even several months, what, what we do before we sin, how we fight against sin, how we flee from sin, how we cling to the Lord, how we hide the word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against them. But we also need instruction on, okay, but when we do mess up, what do we do? None of us in here are perfect. When, when we do sin against our God, what do we do next? When we've done the thing that we're ashamed of, The thing that we said we would never do a thousand times, we said we would never do this thing. When we've done the thing that we've been trying not to do, we've had people praying for us about this, and we've walked into that same sin again, what do we do? How does a faithful Christian respond when we sin? Because we got to be honest, we mess up a lot. Every one of us in the room, we sin a lot. We fail. We fail to do the things that we tell others to do. We are not perfect. What do we do after we found ourselves not following God and living in such a way that causes us to look back and say, God, how did I even get here to this place? The way I used to follow you is different from where I am now. How did I get here? The covenant practice I want to talk about today is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance, because we need to know what to do after we sin. We need to know what it looks like to walk faithfully with the Lord after 
we sin. A quick verse that I want to put before us is Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So you got confession there, and that word forsaking sin is also referring to repentance, that we actually receive mercy and compassion from God when we confess our sin and forsake our sin. I want to talk about repentance first, and we've got to answer the question, what is repentance? What does it mean to repent? We have to be careful about words that we use in church all the time, but maybe we never really define because they can lose all of their meaning. One of the ways I explain repentance to my children is repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. It's as simple as I can put it. Turning away from sin and turning to God. It's both. That after we sin, we, we want to make up in our minds and our hearts that we turn away from sin and we turn to God. Everyone sins. This is, again, one of the ways, most simple way I can, I can think about it, and this is the way that I talk to my children about it, is that what's the difference between someone who is a follower of Jesus and someone who is not? Right? Everybody sins. Everybody does wrong. What's the difference between a Christian and someone who's not a follower of Jesus? The answer is a Christian repents, and, and those who do not follow Jesus do not. A Christian repents from sin by practice. A Christian is growing in the habit and the pattern of repenting and turning away from sin and turning to God, and those who do not know God do not do so. One of the things I like to say is birds fly, fish swim, Christians repent. This is what we do. This is how we live. This is what we are known for, or at least should be known for. We repent. This is who we are. So John the Baptist, when he's preparing the way for Jesus and prepping people for Jesus' public ministry, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming and ushering in the kingdom of God. So your response, your reasonable response, should be repent from a life of sin and a life of not following God. Jesus comes in a chapter later, and this is the beginning of his preaching ministry. And he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the same thing, repent for the kingdom is at hand. That the fact that Jesus is bringing his kingdom, the fact that Jesus wants to see our city look more and more like heaven every day means that we should first and foremost repent. Turn away from our sin. I'm talking about the sin you like. I'm talking about the sin that feels good. I'm talking about the sin that's easy to cling to. Maybe the sin that others who who are around you will even tell you that's okay. God knows your heart. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the kingdom of heaven is coming to overthrow the kingdom of darkness that is present in the world. Turn away from that kingdom and submit to our Lord Christ. Now we understand that that's how how we become Christians, by placing faith in him, believing that he is greater than the sin that we have clung to. We repent and turn away from that sin when we become Christians, but it doesn't stop. At that point, I want to bring up Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. This is Jesus writing to the church of, I think you pronounce it, Laodicea. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So he's calling an established church to repent. Right, so repentance is not just something that we're to do when we first become a believer. Then we can just wild out and live however we desire to live after that. No, but to actually be able to prosper and thrive and grow spiritually, we must continue to practice 
repentance. And if we don't do this, then we will be just like those that Paul warned Timothy about. They will have the form of godliness but deny its power. They will have the appearance of godliness but deny the power of God to transform us and make us more and more like him. There are many that are like those that Paul points out to Timothy when he says they're continuing to learn but never actually arriving at the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people who approach God's word more so for information than for transformation, right? It's very easy for us to believe, oh, I am learning a lot of things about God, thus that must mean I am maturing. But that's not what maturity is. Maturity is learning more about God and thus being transformed and seeking God to transform us as we learn more and more about him. So there's a lot of Christians who believe that being fed, like they would come to a sermon like this one, and, and they would judge whether or not they're being fed by that sermon based on whether or not they learned something that they had not known before. Regardless of whether or not they were called to repentance, regardless of whether or not the, the Bible was explained clearly and they were called to turn away from their life of sin and turn to Christ in repentance, if it was not something mind-blowing, something that opened their mind to something new that they hadn't heard before, then, well, I don't feel like I'm getting fed. It's like, no, you just don't like the food. You just don't like the meal. Let's just be honest about what's actually going on. We don't like oftentimes to be called to repent. We don't like our sin to be pointed out to us. We prefer because it's much easier to just go to a sermon where I learn a bunch of facts and I don't have to change anything about my life. And so we feel like that's being fair because we don't want to repent. We don't want to turn away from our sin. We prioritize knowledge over repentance, and it's damaging to us spiritually when we do so. The reality is there's just some information that requires a response. There's just some information that when you hear it, it requires a, a response. So I was out, uh, I think I was with my in-laws, and we went by, I want to tell you it was Marble Slap, and... Uh, my boys wanted ice cream, and both of them wanted their, their own ice cream. I said, no, you guys got to share one because you don't always finish it when you, when, when you both have your own, so you're going to share this one. And they didn't like that. And I told them, I was like, y'all need to be grateful because a lot of people don't get ice cream. A lot of families actually can't even afford to buy their children ice cream. That's what I told them. And so Malachi is shocked. He looks at me, he's like, are you serious? There's children that can't have ice cream? And I was like, yeah, there's some children whose parents literally cannot afford ice cream. And he looks at me, and he says, well, we need to start a business that gives money to families so all children can have ice cream, is what he said to me. We need to start something to get money to families so that all children can have ice cream. See, to him, that information was not something that he could just sit with. He said for him, that, that required a response. That information was worthy of a response. As we look at the Bible, we repent because the information that we see, that we gain as we learn from the Bible, requires a response. That God made everything good, made everything great. We sinned against our God, and now the earth and creation is cursed, and now there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's death, there's ongoing sin in all of us because of it. Jesus comes in to free us from this slavery to the curse of sin and reverse the curse, and now he calls us to repent. That warrants a response. 
That warrants a heart saying, no, no, I don't like the way that things are, so now I choose to repent and turn away from this sin, the sin that is corrupting and has been destroying our world since the third chapter of the Bible. The Christian response to the Bible is that this information warrants a response. It warrants a change in us. It warrants for us to desire to see our city look more and more like heaven every day. Because we see the one that left the throne and came and was tortured in our place. And he says, come follow me. He says, come be with me. He says, come live this way. This is a better, more full way to live. And as Christians, our profession is that that leads us to repentance. I also want to talk about confession as well. Confession is a practice that I would say aids in repentance. It's often a part of repentance, and I would say it also fuels our repentance. Basically, I would say confession is, is telling someone else, or I would say telling someone else about your sin is a simple way to define confession. Telling someone else about your sin, making it known. In 1 John, I'll read chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We have a pretty in-depth look into the Christian practice of confession. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. So John is one of those who walked with Jesus in this life, Jesus in the flesh. He's saying, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you catch that? That if we walk in darkness, but say we're actually having fellowship with God, have unity with God, or sharing our lives with God, he's saying we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's saying if we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we don't practice the truth. But he's saying if we walk in light as he does, he says we even have fellowship with each other, he says. That there's something about confession and sharing our sins with each other that actually increases our ability to have fellowship with one another. He also says, if, he, if we confess our sins, he forgives us and cleanses us. So he talks here about walking in the light and walking in the darkness, confessing our sin and pretending to not have any sin. It's what he's contrasting here. Walking in the light, I would say, is just acknowledging to God and others that we agree with God about our sin. That walking in the light is acknowledging to God and others that we agree with God about our sin. We agree that we have sin, that it, that it is actually sin, what we have done, and that we should turn away from it. That's how I would define walking in the light. He says not confessing sin to God also hinders fellowship with God. He says if we walk in darkness and say that we fellowship with God, then we do not tell the truth. He's saying when we don't go to God and talk to him about our sin and agree with him about our sin, it hinders our fellowship with God. And this makes sense because in any important relationship, if you sin against someone in a way that deeply offends them, 
You're going to be limited in how much you can fellowship with them and walk forward with them going forward if you're not willing to own up to what you did wrong. Every relationship, the, the closeness is benefited by us when we are willing to humble ourselves and admit what we have done wrong. And the Christian practice of confession to God is us going to God whom we love, whom we are in close relationship with because of what Christ has done and saying, God, this, I did this and it was wrong. I know it is offensive to you. That's confessing. That's an aspect of walking in the light. It's agreeing with God about our own sin. This is us. We do this with others as well. This is me. If I sin against my wife in my pride, going to her saying, baby, I'm sorry I was arrogant. I should not have said that. I should not have talked in that way. That enables us to walk more closely together now. That enables us to continue to pursue more closeness in our relationship. That is confession. Excuse me. My question for us today is, is your relationship with God so real that you talk to him about the things that you're ashamed of? Is your relationship with God so true, so authentic that you don't just go to him in times of celebration and rejoicing, but you go to him in times where you lament the wrong that you have done? Is there a real relationship there or is it more superficial? Is there depth to our relationship with the Lord that we can go to him about the things we have done that are wrong? Do we go to God with the things that we've done that we don't even like to think about? And biblically speaking, confessing sin to God and walking in the light should be a normal part of everyday life. It should be a normal part of everyday life. It's just a part of sharing your life with God. You thank him for the highs, you lament the lows to him. You celebrate the wins and you grieve the losses to him and with him. This is what close friends do. This is just what close friends do. We share the highs and we share the lows. We're open and honest with each other. And this is the type of relationship that God desires to have with us as his people, that we confess our sins to him. And this is why John is saying that, hey, if you, if you do not, if you walk in darkness, you're lying if you think you actually have fellowship with God. He's saying, no, come to the light. The light exposes what the darkness hides. He says, no, come walk in the light. Confess your sins. This is what we ought to do. I want to go back to verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. So not only do we confess our sins to God, but biblically we confess our sins to each other as well. The same principle applies. I know a lot of Christians that desire to have more close relationships or have closer relationships with the body of believers that they are a part of, but they're scared to share who they really are. Want to be able to walk in oneness and unity, but want to be able to hold back who they actually are. Want to fellowship and share life, well, just share the parts of life that are more comfortable for them to share. This hinders our fellowship. John is saying when we walk in the light as he is in the light, as our God is in the light, as he shares himself with us. When we do this, we have fellowship with one another. It increases our ability to to walk with and follow Christ together. James 5.16 says it very directly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He's saying, hey, confess your sins, share your sins with others so that they can pray for you and you can find healing as their prayers are effective. We're commanded to confess our sins to each other. Confessing sin to each other should also be a normal part of everyday life for us as followers of Jesus. Because it's a part of fellowship. It's a part of us sharing our lives with one another. I personally notice a lot of benefits from sharing my sins with other believers. As difficult as it is for me, I have a tendency to want to be a people pleaser. I want people to think highly of me, to, to esteem me very highly. So it's just, this is something that's difficult for me to do. But I've seen how confessing sin to other believers helps other believers know specifically how to be praying for me. I've seen it humble me. I can tend to, to, to swell up in pride if I'm not sharing what's actually going on, but it humbles me when I share. I've seen how it helps me experience unconditional acceptance because the people in my life, now they have the opportunity to actually look down on me and push away. Now they have the opportunity to do so, but when they continue to love me as if I had not seen sin in these ways, it helps me to receive unconditional love and acceptance from them. Well, they're not loving some made-up version of me that I've cropped and edited for them. But they're actually able to love the real me as I actually am. Confessing of sin is practically take, taking off the mask. And saying, I'm not, I'm not hiding who I am anymore. That I'm, I'm authentically going to share me with you and ask that you would walk with me through this. It makes me feel the weightiness of my sin. If my sin only lives in my head and I'm only thinking about it, it doesn't hit the same way for me. But when I hear myself saying it out loud, especially around a group of people, I feel the weight of it more. It, 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 for some reason, it's like it, it becomes more tangible to me. In my mind, I can pretend it's not a, a big deal. But when I'm sitting in the life group meeting with the guys and I share how I've been doing, what my sin actually looks like, it becomes more tangible for me. It also allows other believers to know how to encourage me in my weakness. And I know it sounds cliche, but I, I honestly, acknowledging that you have a problem is oftentimes the first step to actually growing in that area. And confessing our sin allows us to do that. And it invites other believers into the fight along with us. It allows others to fight with us so that we are no longer fighting alone. Listen, there are people in this room, I am sure of it, that there are sin struggles that you are fighting with and you're not sharing with anyone and you're fighting alone and it's tearing you up. You're not confessing it to God. You're not going to God about it. You're not going to anybody else about it. And it's tearing you up and you're fighting alone and you need to stop. And you need to repent and follow, as James chapter 5, verse 16 says, and confess your sins to one another that we might be able to pray for you because the prayers of the righteous are strong as they are working. There's a story in John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. It's actually a pretty famous chapter in the Bible. I'll read starting at verse 1. John writes, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So Nicodemus is a leader in the Jewish community. In general, 
Nicodemus' friends, the ones that he rolled with, didn't, weren't very fond of Jesus. They weren't very fond of his popularity, of some of his teachings. But Nicodemus is interested in Jesus. He's interested in knowing who Jesus is. He comes and he's, he's inquiring about Jesus. Verse 2 also says that he came at night. I've heard people refer to him as Nick at night because he came to Jesus at night. So Jesus goes on and talks to him. He shares that very famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think we often know this verse as well as we should because it's very important for us to know why Jesus actually came. But I want us to make sure we also get what he says a few verses later in verses 19 through 21. In verse 19, he says to Nicodemus, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, Jesus is referring to himself as the light that has come into the world. But he says, but people love the darkness rather than the light. That there was a love, there was an affection for the darkness. There was an, an affection for being able to hide and not be seen. But Jesus is saying that he is the light. I got to ask you, do you love the darkness? Christian in the room who, who, is not, who does not practice sharing or confessing our sins with others, do you like being hidden? Do you enjoy people not knowing who you actually are? Jesus says, Jesus says excuse me, that many in the world have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen. This is what light does. It makes everything clearly seen. It says so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus makes the point that many love the darkness and hate the light. And don't forget now, he just called himself the light. He's saying that people hate him because they love the darkness. He comes, he exposes our sin. He calls us to confess our sin. He calls us out on our sin. So we are against him if we seek to live in darkness. And there's one thing about the story that I think we often miss. In verse, in verse 2, when did, when did it say that Nicodemus came to Jesus? He came at night. He came in the darkness. And then he comes in the darkness. Jesus talks about a few different things, about being born again, about what it means to have eternal life. But he concludes his time with Nicodemus saying, hey, 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 I'm the light. You came to me in the darkness, and many believe, and I will be one of those, many believe that the reason he came in the dark was because he didn't want his friends to know that he was actually trying to find Jesus, that he was actually inquiring of Jesus, that he was actually interested in Jesus. And Jesus confronts him right here and says, hey, I'm the light, but people love the darkness, and so they don't like me. He's confronting Nicodemus right here where he is, and he's confronting us as well right here where we are. And he is making it very, very clear. That if you believe that you're actually seeking Jesus as you seek to live in the darkness, the two do not mesh. That you choose one, you choose him. Jesus refers to himself as the light that exposes who we actually are. Do we love the darkness more or do we love Jesus more? Do we love to hide more or do we love our Savior more? Because he says, I'm the light. He says, I am the light, and those who love the darkness do not come to me. I believe we often try to do both. 
I believe we often try to be followers of Jesus while living in darkness. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm the light. If you're coming to me, you are coming to the light. You're coming out of the darkness if you are coming to me. Jesus says it doesn't work like that. To follow me is to live in the light. To follow Jesus, practically speaking, is to practice confession and repentance. It's to acknowledge to God and to others that we have sinned and then to turn away from that sin as our Savior leads us and empowers us. We turn away from that sin because we find him, the light, to be worthy of that. To be worthy of laying down what we desire. We're a church that has a heavy emphasis on confession and repentance. If you've been in our, our life group meetings, you may have noticed one of the sections of our life group meeting is what we call engage the heart. Well, we're saying we're going to intentionally mark off time that we might confess our sin to one another, that we might repent together, that we might be able to pray for each other so that we can follow God more closely and not be like those who have a form of godliness or an appearance of godliness but deny his power because we never draw on his power to repent from our sin that we would actually be a group of people that are pursuing transformation and renewal in our God. So we have a time where we say, all right, we're going to share what has sin looked like in your life. Share it with us that we can pray for you, that we can encourage you, that we can exhort you to continue to follow Christ and run after him. We value that as a church, and we believe that our God values it and desires to use it to transform you. And here's the thing. I know that's difficult, and I know that that is scary. I know we fear what people will think about us. We might not even tell people that we fear what they would think about us, but part of the reason that we don't want to share our sins, part of the reason that the mask on our face is so comfortable, because we fear that people will look down on us. We fear their thoughts. We fear that they would condemn us and look down on us. And I want to encourage us today that you have a Savior that stepped down from heaven, that you might be seated in the heavenly places with him, that we will go on to be with him forever, that that is our status, son of God, daughter of God. That is who we are. We don't have anything to prove to anybody else. You don't have anything to prove to anybody if you are a follower of Jesus because you have been made new in him. He calls you his saint. He justifies you. He forgives you. He made you his own. He said you will reign with him forever. What else can anybody give to you? Who cares if they don't see you the same? Who cares if they don't look at you the same way? You are a child of the king who will reign forever. So the gospel gives us the boldness to be honest about who we are. The gospel gives us the boldness to walk in the light and live as children of the light and come to him who is the light and say, Christ, whatever you got to do to help me to repent and turn away from this sin, you do that in me. If you got to expose me for who I am, help me to share who I actually am with the body of believers that they might pray for me, that I might find healing. I want to encourage us today that he bore our sins on the cross. That sin that you confess, you are not condemned for it if you are in Christ because he was already condemned for it in your place. That there is now no more condemnation left for you if you are in Christ. So we humbly come before him. We come to the light. We come running to the light and ask that he might transform us 
and through transforming us, that he might continue to transform our city. Family, let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for you today. We're grateful for how you have saved us. We're grateful for your love for us. Father, strengthen us that we would so value repentance, that we would so desire to be transformed by you, that we are willing to, to be open and honest with you and with others about our sin, and that we would turn away from, that we would find you worthy of turning away from sin in our lives, in our hearts, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the boldness, the courage that we need to live in the light, to practice confession of our sin and repentance, turning away from that sin and turning to you. And Father, we need you. We need you. We need your strength. We need your power to live this out. Be with us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.